Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, uh, for blessing my heart this morning. I really appreciate uh, how you lead us into the throne room. Uh, well, again, welcome, church. We are so glad you are here with us in person and online. We are going to continue in our series in the book of First Peter, where the title of the entire series is Hope in a Pandemic. Uh, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. It doesn't just affect us here in Indiana. It doesn't just affect us here in the United States. It is a global pandemic where everyone around the world is still dealing with this pandemic. Together we are united uh, with the global church in this time. Uh, and so we need hope in a pandemic. Amen? Amen. We need hope in these times of stress and anxiety. So we're going to be jumping in, and today I'm titling the sermon, The Garden of the Soul. The Garden of the Soul. That is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Well, I want to share with you about gardens. Uh, again, as I said last week, I don't know a whole ton about gardening, but I do know that it's important that the soil is moist and that the weeds are pulled. Uh, I, I was talking with someone on Monday uh, about their plants that they have in their household, and they actually have a Venus flytrap. And uh, that, that to me is just remarkable. They captured a spider, and they put it into the flytrap, and they watched this plant, which is well-watered and well-weeded, eat this spider slowly. Now, to me, those things are incredible. God's creation is beautiful. God has created the beauty of plants, the beauty of flowers, the beauty of us being able to eat food that is grown in the soil that he has created. Just the, 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 the beauty of God's creation is, is astounding. And you can see really ugly plants like a Venus flytrap, or you can see really beautiful plants. But in order for those plants to flourish... The garden must be weeded, and the garden must be watered. Paul, in his book in Ephesians, a, a passage that we've read often, uh, especially when we were walking through our, our uh, series on the Holy Spirit, is that you must not be drunk on wine, but you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And consistently we see in Scripture, as I had mentioned last week, that the Holy Spirit is water to the soul of a believer. That we need to be living in and filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit of the living God gives us the water that we need and gives us the weeds, the, the view of the weeds that we need to pull and gives us the power to pull those weeds in our lives. And so as we look at what watering and weeding this wonderful morning, may we not forget the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we only have the empowerment to do these things because the Holy Spirit is with us. But you and I are called to hopeful holiness. We could even title this particular passage, Hopeful Holiness Part 2, because Paul, uh, Peter rather is consistently going through this idea of hopeful holiness. So in order to be holy, we must do some weeding and watering in the garden of of our souls. To be holy, we must do some weeding and watering in the garden of our souls. Now you'll think that point is really familiar because it is. It was the last point that we made last Sunday. And again, we need to tie these things together because all of Scripture moves in one direction, pointing to Jesus Christ, pointing to the importance of our proximity, our relationship with the one true and living God. But in order for us to be holy, we must do some weeding and watering. Only when that weeding and watering has been done can we walk in the hopeful holiness that we are called to. 
So we are going to look at this passage for this morning and answer the question, how can we walk in hopeful, healthy holiness? And we're going to be looking at how we can water and what we are to water and what we are to weed in our lives. I believe Peter gives us the answer to the question, how can we walk in hopeful, healthy holiness? If you have your scripture, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 1, 20 through 1 Peter 2, 3. It'll also be on the screen. So read with me the word of the living God. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Remember, Peter is talking to the early church, the persecuted church under a terrible, terrible Caesar who was killing them and murdering them and and just taking them apart as the church because simply they believed in Jesus. He saw them as a threat for some reason and lied about the burning of Rome and said it was the Christians' fault. And here Peter is saying, live in hope. Live in this hopeful holiness. In the midst of all that is going on, live in hopeful holiness. And I believe that in this passage, Peter gives us four areas of watering and two areas of weeding that we need to put into our lives to have a healthy hopeful, holy soul. And the first area of watering Peter gives is that of remembrance. Because remembering the resurrection empowers the believer's faith and hope. Peter takes them back again to the resurrection of the living king. He says the reason why you believe in Jesus in the first place is because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This is the epicenter of our faith. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the importance of the resurrection and says if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're the biggest idiots on the planet and we should be pitied. He literally goes on to talk about how silly our faith would be if Jesus did not raise, but he ends that thought with Jesus did rise. A proven fact that history and all historians and all people who would seek to discredit our faith cannot prove that he did not rise. In fact, all of the evidence of history, all of the evidence of the beginning of the church, all of the evidence of the church being able to get through persecution proves the resurrection. So he's reminding them, do you want to walk in hope? You have to water your remembrance. Don't forget why you are saved. Don't forget how you are saved. Don't forget the resurrection. 
The resurrection is the epicenter of our faith. Walk in remembrance. Water your soul by remembering the resurrection. God is in control. The resurrection was the plan from the very beginning. He's saying, how can we know that God is in control? Even of the situation that seems as if God has lost control. How can we know with a fact that he is in control? Simply because the resurrection. We don't just need to celebrate that and be excited about that at Easter time. Sadly, we relegate the, the celebration of the resurrection to one day or one week a year. But the resurrection is the epicenter. If we want to water the garden, the seed that God has planted in our souls, we must remember the resurrection. God is in control. And he brings them to that, <clears throat> excuse me, to that point. The second area of watering Peter gives us is that of obedience. Because obedience to the truth purifies the soul of a believer. Obedience brings purification. Obedience to the truth purifies the soul of a believer. He says, because you believed and walked in obedience to follow the truth, you have been washed, you have been cleansed. Continue to walk in that obedience. One commentator says, the readers, by obeying the truth as revealed in Jesus, have accepted the Redeemer's work of salvation as personal for each of them as individuals. And by that obedience, Peter tells them, you have purified yourselves. You have walked in obedience. You have believed the truth, and you are purified by that. When we step into repentance and acceptance of God's grace and forgiveness, our souls are purified By his truth. Have you believed that Jesus died and rose again? Have you put your faith in him and repented of your sins? Have you been walking in the truth of who God is in your life? You have been purified. You cannot be stained by the enemy's lies. You cannot be stained by temptation if we resist it and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to go get through that temptation. And not fall into sin. We are a pure being. Now we can allow impurities to come in. We can step back and step away from the truth and step away from obedience. And when we begin to step away from obedience, we begin to allow ourselves to be tainted again by those sins that would have drawn us back into that type of sinful living. Remember we talked about that last week. Don't slip back into the previous sins of your past life because you are made new, because you are purified. But I believe that Peter here is not just talking about the obedience of accepting Christ. Many commentators leave it there, but I believe he's saying in all of our obedience, as we continue to walk in obedience, as the Lord calls us to deeper levels of faith, as the Lord calls us to deeper levels of holiness, as he calls us to deeper levels of sanctification, we will be continually purified. Our lives will be holier and holier and holier. And we can be greater tools for the kingdom of God. The holier we become, the greater tool we become for evangelization, the greater tool we we become for one another, to encourage one another to grow in faith. This obedience purifies us by the truth that washes over us. In fact, the Greek word here that says purify has the root word hagios, which means holiness in the Greek. 
Then when you and I walk in this purification of obedience, we become holier. It's a proof of our sanctification through and through. That beautiful doctrine that we began and we talked about as Jesus, our sanctifier, is all through Scripture. That you and I can be continually made holy through and through. Are we walking in obedience? When the Holy Spirit presses upon your heart to walk in a certain way, are you walking in obedience? When the Holy Spirit says, water this part of your life of obedience, are we walking in that? When He says, this is a weed that you need to pull, are we walking in obedience or are we rejecting it? Are we continuously being made holy? We're called to obedience. Obedience is difficult. Just look at your children. Even as adult children, obedience is difficult for them, right? I was talking with my dad this weekend, and we were talking about some things I was wrestling with, and he said, you know what, Marvin, you still wrestle with wanting things right now. He's like, stop it. He's like, that was something that you did when you were a kid. He's like, just wait and be patient for the Lord to do what he's promised he will do. It's a good word. You need to walk in obedience and patiently wait for what God is saying and what God is doing. The third area of watering Peter gives us is that of love. Pure love present in our lives is a sign of a healthy soul. Pure love present in our lives is a sign of a healthy soul. Hillier, a commentator, says, that very process of purification and so increasingly become Christ-like means that their relationship to fellow believers benefits too, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. When we are walking in that obedience, when we are being purified by the truth of the living God, we will walk in greater love for one another. It is a natural byproduct of the beauty of obedience. And he says, it's very clear in the scripture over and over again, if you are not loving your brother, the word of God is not in your heart. If you're not loving your fellow believer, something is off and you are allowing weeds and you are allowing your soil to become dry. If you can't look at your brother who you disagree with on so many different levels and love them despite those things, you're not walking in the truth. And these are hard words, especially in a time where the enemy is trying to divide the church. He's trying to divide the church on so many different levels, ethnically, politically, geographically, financially. And we see it, and he's winning. He is winning the war for the division of the church, where we can look at someone and say, I can't even think how you can be a believer with that, whatever it is separated from what you believe or how, what the things that you hold to that aren't the Scripture, obviously. We need to love one another. Remember, Peter is talking, he's speaking to a church that has all sorts of political, geographical, monetary, and religious history. He's not talking to a people that have always thought the same way. He's not talking to a people that have always walked in the same path. He's not talking to people who've had the same religious beliefs like Jews their entire lives. He's talking to a diverse church. He's talking to a church that looks at one another and says, I disagree with your past. He's looking at a church that says, I disagree with the way you dress. 
He's looking at a church where they can disagree agreeably, and he's saying, listen, the only way you're going to get through this persecution is by loving one another. Persecution will rob the church of its faith if we're not standing together. The early church, when persecuted, the reason why it grew is because they loved one another. They took care of one another. They didn't care that they were ministering to people who weren't like them. They brought people from all nations, all tongues, all backgrounds, all history, all monetary beliefs and understanding financially and geographically and politically. They ministered to all of them and they united together as a body of believers. If we are to get through this pandemic, if we are to get through the stress and anxiety of life, If we are to get through the coming persecution, that will come because it's promised in the Bible that one day that will come to the church on a global scale. If we're not loving one another, it will be really hard to get through those times. We are to love one another. Pure love, when I said present in our lives, is a sign of a healthy soul. When we're not loving one another, it's a sign of an unhealthy soul. I'm afraid that the church is a very unhealthy garden. A very unhealthy garden. And if Jesus were to come now, we would not be prepared. We have got to get back to the truth of the gospel. We have got to get back to the truth of obedience, to be washed with purity from the Holy Spirit. And when we do, we will love one another. The word pure, when he says you love one another with a pure love, also means without blemish or spot. It is a perfect love. It is a clean love. What is he saying? It's not transactional. I'm not loving you because you give me something. I'm not loving you because you you make me feel good about myself. I'm loving you with a pure, spotless love because that's the love that God gives us. That's the love that God pours upon us, and that is the love we are called to pour upon one another. Go and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not a wedding type of passage. He's not talking about how husbands and wives should love one another. He's talking about how the church should love one another. Think about it through that space. He's writing to the church, this is how you are to love one another. And it's tough. Being patient with one another, long-suffering, being kind, not holding the, the sins of the past of people against them upon you, but releasing those things and saying, you know what, God? I'm going to love this person despite this person <laughs> because God loves us despite us. Another commentator states, although Peter does not spell out the point here, For his readers to love one another deeply from the heart would be an immense source of mutual encouragement to stand together in the face of persecution. We need one another. I need you. You need me. And not just for me to come up here and preach the truth of God's word. We need to walk in life together. We need to share our anxiety and stress and pain together. I've said this before because Peter has reminded the church of this consistently. There are things that Peter consistently says where he's repetitive. We say, well, pastor, you keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Well, because the Bible does. Because he's like, you've got to get it. You've got to understand. And Jesus himself said, if we're not loving one another, the Spirit is not in you. And we have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But the truth of the matter is what Job says. The Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. It cannot be lived authentically in isolation. One of the, the danger, dangerous things of the Western world is that we believe it's all about the individual. And that is leaked into the church where it says, you know, your faith is only for yourself. It's an individual thing. But that's not how the early church or how we as the church are meant to live. We are meant to live in community. We are meant to be in each other's homes. We are meant to pray with one another. I love it when, when believers call me and say, hey, can we come over to your house for prayer that you could pray over us and anoint us? Or me. <laughs> because that is necessary. That's a beautiful thing, saying we need one another. We need one another to be prayed over. Peter requires love for fellow Christians as the great mark of true holiness. And Jesus made similar statements as I had said before. John 13, 34, John 15, 12, and John 15, 17. You can go look those up. The importance of love is vital. And he uses the word when he says the seed of God is imperishable within us. This is why I had to go with the idea of garden in the, the garden of the soul. Because he uses the Greek word spora. And that Greek word spora is a planting seed. He's saying that there was this beautiful grain that was planted in your life and it doesn't die. It will never fade. And if you allow that spora to be watered, if you allow that garden to be weeded, you will love one another. Loving one another is a mark of holiness. But when we don't love one another, that's a mark of unholiness. And we walk in maturity in our faith. If you don't love your brother and your sister despite your brother and your sister, you are not a mature Christian. No matter how long you've been in the church, no matter how long you've worshiped the Lord through song, no matter how many times you've read the Bible, if you do not love your fellow brother or sister despite them, you are an immature Christian. Those are hard words. He's saying in order for you to get through this, you need to love one another. Because your immaturity will show up. Your immaturity will cause division in the church. And that is the last thing the persecuted church needs. The persecuted church. The church in general, whether persecuted or not, needs love. We are to be marked by love. Our holiness is to be marked by love. We need to water love in the gardens of our soul. We have to. We have to do that. The fourth area of watering that Peter gives us is that of longing. Tasting the goodness of the Lord leads to longing for more. Tasting the goodness of the Lord leads to longing for more. Some of you may know this about me, some of you may not. I love buffalo chicken pizza. I love it. And the best in town is Venice. I, if I'm going to get pizza, I'm going to get buffalo chicken pizza from Venice 100% of the time. Even when we have staff meals and we're like, hey, let's celebrate as a staff, I'm always going to get a buffalo chicken pizza. And the staff has learned to like it. It'll always be that way because it is my favorite food. And one of the dangerous things about your favorite food is when you taste it, what happens? You want more. Right, And so I tend to try not to buy the extra large size because I know that I'll want more. And my family, my kids, they don't eat it. So it's, it's all for Hillary and I. 
and she eats two pieces and it's done. And I'm like, whoo, six pieces looks really good right now. I don't do that all the time. That's gluttony. It's a sin. <laughs> I do sin that way, I'll, I'll admit. But the reality is I want more. I desire more. And the longing that we are to have for the Lord when we taste him should be even greater by 10, 100,000 times for that longing. And that beauty of longing is this sense of I cannot be satisfied without it. I cannot be satisfied without more of God. Because when we taste God, we long for more. Water that longing. Water it. Don't step away from it. Don't say, oh, that's weird that I want God so much. I mean, that, who says that? <laughs> Go after it. Lean into that longing. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. That's the psalmist talking about his longing because he has tasted the goodness of the Lord. The Greek word for, for, for uh, word of God is logos, which in the book of John reminds us of Jesus. It's not just the living word of God, it's the abiding word of Jesus living among us, the Holy Spirit living within us, this desire for more, long for more of the word of God, long for more of the spirit of God, long for more of Jesus to be glorified in your life. We are to be a people of longing. But he says very, something very convicting. Look at verse 3 in chapter 2. He says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants in verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Why is that a convicting word? <laughs> He's saying, if you're not longing for more, you have not tasted the goodness of the Lord. Peter is crushing these people. He's crushing us. They're in the midst of persecution. And he's like, listen, you need hope. So I need to be very, very real with you. I need to be very, very specific with you. Because if you're going to continue in hopeful holiness, you need to know the truth. And if you're not longing for more, if you're not hungry for more of God, you have not tasted the goodness. It's like having the buffalo chicken pizza on the table, and you smell it, and you see it, and you're like, mmm, that looks really good. But you don't taste it. You just step back and say, ah, not today. But the Lord is good, my friends. The Lord tastes good. Amen? The Lord is good. And we need to taste his goodness. Water the goodness of God within you. If you've not been longing for more of God in your recent time, say, God, let me taste you again. Let me taste your goodness. Let me experience your goodness. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to line up. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to get more money. It doesn't mean all of a sudden that things are going to fall into place and it's going to be perfect and you're going to get that promotion. That's not what I'm saying when we say, let me taste your goodness. We're saying, let me be present with you. Let me just be on my face and pray. Let me just experience the goodness of your Holy Spirit. Something I had said late, earlier this week is this, and I posted it on, on Facebook because I was so convicted by it. The neglect of the Holy Spirit in evangelical churches has allowed other spirits the ability to creep in. When we neglect the Holy Spirit and we're not tasting the goodness of the Lord and the, through the Word of God, we are allowing other things to come into our lives and into the church. 
We've sought to move forward in our own power, something Jesus commanded the disciples not to do. Acts 1.4, he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, these were the disciples. These were the guys that walked with Jesus. They knew what he had said. They knew what he had done. And he says, don't do anything but wait for the Holy Spirit. Pray, ask for the Spirit of God to come. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the church was birthed. And the Holy Spirit was a mark in their lives. They depended upon the Spirit of the living God. They were watered by the Spirit of the living God. Allow the longing of God to be watered in your life. Because the garden of your soul will shrivel and die without the water of the Holy Spirit. It's true. The garden of your soul, of our souls, will shrivel and die without the water of the Holy Spirit. We need the water of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot walk in love without Him empowering it. Because the love that we are called to is a cosmic, otherworldly type of love. And that's why it's strange. That's why we're weird. Because it doesn't make sense. It's not natural for us to love our enemies. It's not natural for the church to come together with all ethnicities, all political persuasions, all histories of of sin and all these different things that come together as the diverse church. That's not supposed to happen in the world. The only reason why that can happen is because of the Holy Spirit empowering the church to love one another. We need to be marked by our love. And we also need the abiding word. Listen to what he says about the word of God. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then in verse 25, one of the most powerful, memorable things that we have in our Christian faith, we don't always live out, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You and I need to be in the Word of God. I am tired of seeing all kinds of things that happen in the American church from pulpits of several different churches where they don't preach the Word of God, but they preach all kinds of other things. They preach all kinds of other things. There was, I saw on the internet not too long ago that there was a pastor who spent 30 minutes teaching on conspiracy theories to the church. Really? Really? Not even cracking open the Word of God. Not even saying how the Word of God informs our lives. We need the Word of God. We need to be watered with the Word of God. We need to go to the Word of God because the Word of the Lord remains forever. It is eternal. It is abiding. It is true. It is life-giving. It is alive. Amen? We need the Word of God. We can't just give lip service. We need to continue to go back to the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit will speak to us. So we've seen the watering of remembrance. We've seen the watering of obedience. We've seen the watering of love, and we've seen the watering of longing. And Peter also gives us two areas of life that we need to weed. Now, there's several more, but he highlights a couple of them. And the first round of weeding Peter gives is that of malice and deceit. To water Christian love, the weeds of malice and deceit must be destroyed. Malice 
and deceit will tear love in the Christian church away. If we have malice for someone in our hearts, if we have malice for anyone, whether they're a Christian or not, that seeps into our soul. We are called to love our enemies as well. We're called to serve our enemies. We're called to care for our enemies, not just our brother. So much so, tenfold more for our brothers. But we're not walking in that because we're walking in malice and deceit. We're deceiving our very selves. And Peter's like, listen, because you need to love one another with a brotherly, pure love, these are things that you need to weed out of your life. If you find yourself having malice for anyone in this world, Allow God to weed it out of your life. He doesn't just say a little bit of malice. He doesn't just say a tiny bit of malice. He says put away all malice. Any malice you have, any animosity you have, any anger, any hate that is in your heart, put it away. I've seen a lot and I've heard a lot of hate speech in this time. And you know what? It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Because no matter who wins the election, there's going to be fights. There's going to be rage. There's going to be anger. There's going to be disappointment. And as the body of believers, we need to put away all malice before that happens. So we're not drawn into it. We've got to put away all malice. We've got to put away all deceit. Those are the things that we need to weed. And if you find yourself having that hate and that anger and speaking hate, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you need to pay attention to what you're saying about other people. Because that might prove the malice that's there that needs to be weeded and plucked out. And you need to confess it, repent of it, and allow God to pull it out of your life. Because to water Christian love for brothers and sisters, the weeds of malice and deceit must be destroyed. The weeds that Peter lists in chapter 2 here are those weeds that destroy relationships. He focuses on the weeds that destroy relationships. The second round of weeding Peter gives is that of hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Because authenticity, contentment, and words of blessing weed out hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Hypocrisy is one of the most dangerous things in the church because we talk a talk that we're not walking. And the problem with hypocrisy is we can walk so deeply in hypocrisy that we actually believe our own lies, that we actually believe that we're walking the Christian faith, that we're actually convinced in in our minds that we are truly walking the Christian faith, but we're walking in so much hypocrisy that we are lying to ourselves. And that's shown by the malice that we see. It's shown by the non-love that we see in the church. It is shown and proven that we're walking in hypocrisy where we say we must love our enemies, but we don't do it. Where we say we must love our brother and sister, but we don't do it. When we say we need to long for the word of God, but we don't. That's walking in hypocrisy. And he's like, guys, listen, church, you need to walk in truth. You need to walk in authenticity. You cannot allow the malice to bring about envy and slander of other people. When the word of God is in us, we won't even want to fake it. 
when the word of God is truly planted deep in our souls and we're watering the word of God and we're weeding the things of malice, envy, and slander, we won't even want to fake it. We'll want to be honest. We'll want to walk in Christian love where we need support and we need love from one another, where we need our brothers and sisters. We will be honest about it. It talks about envy as well because, you know, it's important for us to recognize that often you and I compare ourselves to others. Often we look at how other people are living and say, why, God, can't I have that? Even in the Christian life, why, God, can't I have the blessings that that person is receiving? Why is that person being elevated and I'm not? Why is that happening? We begin to walk in envy, and that takes root into our hearts, into a root of bitterness. And bitterness, when it is full-grown, will begin in malice and slander of other people. We cannot allow that root to grow in our lives. We cannot walk in comparison. One of my favorite Teddy Roosevelt lines is, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I share this with my kids. I share this with myself. I've shared this with the staff because it can be very, very convincing that we deserve something more. And we allow this hopeful, holy joy that we are to have be robbed because we're comparing. We cannot allow the weeds of envy and malice and slander to enter into our lives. If the Word of God and the Spirit of God are truly dwelling in us, we will not slander one another. If we are to have a healthy garden in our soul, we must live a Romans 12 lifestyle. I've been talking about Romans 12 because I just, I still can't get out of it. It is such a convicting and convincing word for me that I need to be reminded over and over and over and over again. And in there, he challenges us. The word of God challenges us again with some of the truths that Peter is bringing, that we are to walk in love, that we are to care for one another, that even if we have enemies and they are attacking us, we are to bless them. He, the early church, when they were being persecuted, what we have historically is that they were blessing those who are murdering them. Praying a blessing over them. God bless them. God, I know it's painful. I know it's hard, but bless those people. When is the last time you prayed a blessing over someone that you hate? Over someone who has hurt you? Over someone who has brought pain in your life? You see, the Christian life is not happy, clappy, simple. It's not. We are daily to take up our cross and die to ourselves and live for Christ. We are to be a living sacrifice unto Him, dying day in and day out. And that is where we walk in obedience. That is where we experience the purification that Peter and the Word of God promises us. We've got to water those truths in our lives. Peter admonishes us to water the areas of remembrance, obedience, love, and longing. And we are to weed out malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. My prayer is that I will do this. Because my garden doesn't always look great. Rarely does it look great. Because I need to water these things and weed these things as well. But when we long for God and we are in His Word we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, these things happen and transpire in our lives. 
And if these things are not showing up in our hearts and in our lives, we need to take a really hard look at ourselves and in our hearts and allow God to cleanse us, heal us, strengthen us so that we can have a healthy soul. So we can go out in the midst of persecution and still bring the truth of the gospel. May we do it. May we choose to water the garden of our soul. May we choose to weed the garden of our soul and see more how your hope grows and see more how your holiness grows and see more how your joy grows. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your abiding word. That the word of the Lord remains forever. We thank you that the proof of our faith is in the resurrection. Thank you that when we taste that you are good, we will long for more. That you offer more of yourself. You don't just say, oh, they're saved and walk away. You're invested. You're involved. You are present. And I pray that we'll take advantage of that. And I pray that you'll weed out malice, envy, slander, hate from my heart. And he'll water the longing and the love and the obedience and the remembrance in my heart and in ours. In your name, amen.